This is Tectonic, a weekly talk show revolving around the seismic shifts in technology, culture, and the digital age. This is episode number 10. We've made it, Joshua. 10? I am Joe Darnell, and with me is my co-host, Joshua Pfeiffer. How are you doing? 10 already. Wow. We are 10. That is pretty impressive. It's very exciting. Uh, I think we've caught up with Mac OS 10. <laughs> now we need to have episode 10.1 and then 10.2, and we'll just keep doing that. Oh, dear. Siri was listening to me. She got all excited. Shut up, Siri. <sighs> Let's see here. All right. She's disconnected now. Speaking of Mac OS X, with us tonight is Mark Bramhill of the Welcome to Macintosh podcast. How are you doing, man? I'm I'm doing great. Are you are you gonna write the the episode title with a little a little X Roman numerals? Most definitely. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> so Mark, the way that I know you is from your excellent show that you got started just recently. And it's already made waves in the podcast world. But before there was Welcome to Macintosh, there was Mark Bramhill. And nobody knew about this guy. He was in the making over there in Tucson, Arizona, doing something wonderful with microphones and getting into audio technical work. I'm pretty excited to see the future of your career and where it's growing. I think you can cultivate something really extraordinary with your new show. I, I don't want to speak out of turn, but I'm going to just predict that your show is going to continue to just uh, to thrive. I think I think you're on to something. Thank you. Yeah, I'm really excited about upcoming stuff. And I've I've enjoyed making the previous episodes, but I feel like then with each successive one, then it's like, okay, I want to try something new at this point. I want to try something different and continue finding new ground to to cover with it. So have we actually mentioned what the podcast is yet? <laughs> well, yeah. I, well, when I say it, it doesn't sound like the name of a podcast, does it, Joshua? It, it is called Welcome to Macintosh. And so it doesn't, it doesn't ring a bell unless you say it is called the Welcome to Macintosh podcast. And I, I think that's a well-chosen name. It's a bullet, macintosh.fm. It this appears to be a Squarespace site, right, sir? It is indeed. Okay. Good use of the tools of the trade. I'm using Squarespace as well for Tectonic and for my coffee podcasts website. Yeah, it works well. You know, Mark, I, I know that uh, the show is going to lead up into more of the stuff concerning Welcome to Macintosh, but I wanted to first talk about you and your professional work. Can you explain where uh, you got into audio technical work and what are you doing with radio and what do you do with radio in Tucson, Arizona? So I need to clarify, I'm actually a student right now, still in college. So I go to Rice University in Texas. You should be teaching classes. <laughs> uh, hopefully at some point I'll do a student talk course on radio stuff to share it with my classmates. But uh, no, it's <laughs> very flattering. Um Beyond being a student, then I listen to lots of podcasts and have wanted to make my own for a while. Have dabbled around with how to use tools like Logic and microphone gear and portable recorders to try and teach myself. I started that like about a year ago or so. And that's that's something where I've been working with that to try and learn more so that I could I would at least have the technical side down. Mm, okay. Then it was, I would mess around with coming up with like my own sort of like live storytelling. I would record myself, kind of loosely prepare, live tell a story, record that, and then go in and edit it to make it a little smoother, to make it flow a little bit better, add sound and music cues to move the story along, which was necessary for me kind of improvising 
stories. <laughs> so it was that's something where it worked as good practice, which didn't require me to find guests to do the editing and mixing. Hmm. And that was very helpful. Practiced writing scripts for nobody. <laughs> so are, are are those are those recordings sort of like the ones that you hope never get out and no one hacks in and finds them and <laughs> shares them online? The lost episodes. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Or did they actually did they actually turn out well? Um they turned out better than I would have anticipated, but if I wanted to ever share those, I'd probably try it again. <laughs> <laughs> They'll be on the special collector's limited edition mixtape that only goes out to the top donors on Patreon. Oh yeah, that'll be that can be the the special uh, swag that you get if you pay for the show. <laughs> now you've also been an alum, as you say, on the website for tr the Transom Story Workshop. I'm not familiar with this. Can you explain what this is? Yeah, so I just graduated from that. I would recommend it to anyone who's able to do it. So it's a workshop uh, focusing on audio, radio storytelling, the sort of edited, scripted style where it's more like my podcast or an NPR show, uh, and it's put on with Atlantic Public Media and Transom.org. It's an eight-week intensive workshop where you produce some radio stories. If you're a complete beginner, that is fine. They want people who kind of just have that fire in their belly for wanting to make great radio. They listen to all the shows. They're constantly tuning into NPR or whatever, listening to good podcasts and want to make things like that. They want to be on the radio. Mm. That's something where they get you from zero to 60 as a radio producer in just eight weeks. It's really great. Wow. And yeah, it's nine people. Uh, it's in Cape Cod. They have it every fall and spring. So I actually just graduated from that a uh, week and a half ago. Okay. It's a fantastic program. The people who run it, Jay Allison, uh, Rob Rosenthal, they're amazing people. From the looks of it, I noticed that they focus on storytelling. Does that seem to be at the heart of your interests of creativity and creative content and, and your future career? Absolutely. It's starting to feel a little bit gross with uh, lots of startups adopting the term, we are storytellers. and uh... <laughs> Right. It, it is messing with the terms. For a long time, you could say that it didn't sound, uh, well, <laughs> like you were just using the uh, sterilized terminology in the business world. But now it is that all the people out there emphasizing their brand say that, you know, your brand is really a story. And what are you saying about your story? Who are you? And describe your story. That is your brand. And I'm like, oh, please. <laughs> no, you're messing with something very sacred. Storytelling is a, an art that goes all the way back to the beginning of, of time. And I, I truly respect the people who refine on the art of storytelling. I think about the early days of radio. There were many programs that were all about the storytelling. And there was radio dramas. There were um, people like you and Aaron Mankey that were telling stories, but on radio in the old days, where they would deliver fictional and historical stories. And that was something in its heyday that worked rather effectively before the television where then it was all about show, don't tell. A television program and the theater doesn't feel like you are storytelling because you're witnessing events, you're witnessing actions. But movies and television are also storytelling. And the difference is the visual component, which seems to give people a vicarious experience that they are in the story more so than just you know people who are thinking through something that has previously happened or happened elsewhere. And, and, but that is what radio and that's what is podcasting is affording people is the chance to have a different kind of experience with story. And there's something special to be had 
from getting it secondhand when it's done extremely well. I think that, for instance, with your show, we're seeing that the response from a lot of the the tech-savvy individuals is that they, they prefer Welcome to Macintosh over seeing a Steve Jobs biopic movie or a movie that talks about tech historical culture because what you're able to illustrate feels true to life rather than the face of Ashton Kutcher to pretend that he is Steve Jobs wearing glasses. You know, it's not enough to be Michael Fassbender. If you're Michael Fassbender, great, good for you. I'd love your autograph. But (laughs) please, don't toy with reality, my reality, a reality that I've lived through by playing someone, you know, that was just recently alive and molded the world of our culture. And it just doesn't feel right for the place of storytelling to take place on screen with significant events like these. I totally agree with that. And especially I feel like not only is what I'm doing, I'm trying to capture a slice of this community and this culture and what's around this company rather than slightly fictionalized or massively fictionalized sometimes (laughs) biopic movies or whatever, then I also feel like the other thing that's big is that rather than trying to tackle the entire career of Steve Jobs in an episode. It's like, let's pick something really small, like one little detail about this and spend 20 minutes or so just looking at that thing and what's interesting about it. And I find that immensely more satisfying to delve in and really give these small details that deserve the attention to give them their fair chance and to do Mm. a really clean version of these stories that some people have heard before, but my goal is to try and do the best job of telling them mm. so that they can be preserved as sort of a anthropology of this uh, anthropological study of this community, you know? <laughs> right, right. For our listeners who maybe haven't uh, listened to the podcast yet, give, give us maybe an example of an episode and, and what, you know, how you went into to details of, of something very specific. Sure. I'll go with the example that you guys gave. Uh, episode three, Trip to Alpha Centauri. So that was a look into the history of a specific synthesizer, a digital synthesizer that was built onto the Apple II by an engineer at Apple uh, as a side project. Looking at just this synthesizer, it sounds like that's going to be like a one minute story and it doesn't sound like there's much there. Then when you look into it, this guy made this synthesizer that was used as one of the instruments for movie effects in movies like Tron um, or some Star Trek movies as well. It was used by various musicians like Herbie Hancock. And then it was also used in dolphin research, which is just crazy. And it's something where finding all of these things, like there had been almost nothing written about that or that's the story of the synthesizer hadn't been told before. I couldn't find any, almost anything about it online. Mm. Um, I pretty much accidentally stumbled upon the story in, uh, Charlie Kellner's resume when I was looking at him for a a potential expert on a different subject. I saw that I also made the synthesizer and it was used for research on dolphins. And it was like, that's (laughs) the only thing that was on the internet about this. Like there was almost nothing. (laughs) And so it was just like, this has to be told. And going in depth on this thing that before was a footnote on a resume on the internet. (laughs) it's that's the sort of thing where it's picking a detail and really giving it the time and attention it deserves the episode after that is a little bit larger in scope sort of the whole history of 
the beginnings and the end of Macworld magazine uh, as a print magazine, which is a much bigger thing to tackle. I picked a few specific moments in the magazine's history to focus on. The beginning, uh, its merger with Mac user, and then uh, its disappearance more recently. <laughs> yeah, I I just finished that uh, that episode up as well. So yeah, it was very good. Yeah, that's I that I'm very proud of that one. So <laughs> it turned out very well. I have to say that I only knew a little bit, you know, like the footnotes on MacWorld.com history. I was a subscriber for many years, but I didn't know about some of the connections to well the earlier days. And yeah. I've been following Jason Snell's career because I've I've been listening to his podcast Upgrade. Mm-hmm. And little bits and pieces come come to light here and there, but uh, you definitely told the story in a, I think, w- very tasteful way, and definitely demonstrated the impact that this has made on the community. And this is what I think is really interesting here. You're probably addressing largely people who were previously subscribers to MacWorld Magazine, and so they probably would like to know that story, and you gave it to them, which is pretty special. Yeah. Seeing as how none of the rest of us have to date. So Yeah, no, that was that was one where it was I was I was very sad to see the magazine go. And just being younger, I don't have that same long time connection to the magazine. But as long as I've been interested in Apple, I'd been a big fan. Um mm. and so that was it's something where I wanted to kind of pay it tribute and and preserve that story before it kind of gets a little bit forgotten or lost or twisted and in history. <laughs> well, so. well done. Now, is, since you brought it up, you know, ma- you know Macintosh computers, <laughs> I wanted to ask you, what do you use and why do you prefer the wares that you use and what do you use for your audio editing work? Everything from the writing to the microphone to whatever you use to edit the show. And uh, even if you don't mind, uh, explain how it all culminates on Squarespace because Squarespace is one of the most well-known podcast advertisers, mm-hmm. but I haven't heard many people talk about using a Squarespace in real life. And that's not a bad thing. It's just th- the way it is that uh, most people haven't thought to actually talk about Squarespace, but I've been using it for several years and I'm interested to hear if you have any comments on that, but go back to square one and tell me what devices you use. I, I'll start with the Mac. Um, I use a 15 inch Retina MacBook Pro. It's my only computer. What year? say 2014 okay yeah i have the 2012 it's a great machine it's a 2013 sorry <laughs> okay Just checked um but so a 2013 retina macbook pro that's it's a great computer then iphone 6 uh i have an apple watch sport at this point but for the show it's a 2013 retina 15 inch retina macbook pro then uh the software on it is audio hijack for recording myself. Usually I will have my guests record themselves over QuickTime. I have the benefit that most of my guests are using a Mac, so I know what the software will be like. (laughs) Right. Then the show is edited using Logic Pro 10. Then there's not a whole lot of fancy stuff going on in there. Oh, it's more much more fancy than our show, just considering the music you have from beginning to end. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, the... The music is written by Breakmaster Cylinder, the mysterious internet personality. Fantastic musician. Very nice guy, girl. It. (laughs) (laughs) Right. The writing of the scripts I do just in plain text and markdown. And have you felt confident when you approached people for interviews that you would be able to steer the conversation and 
Did you find that the conversations lent themselves to the story or did you have to tweak your script and uh, the direction you're heading with those stories based on the inputs you were given from the conversations? I, and I definitely, I wouldn't approach someone with a script already written where I was looking for specific quotes to put in. Good, good. If I needed, if I needed at the end, like I realized that I was missing a certain perspective, I might have most of the script written around and then have sort of a vague gray area to put in whatever I actually get out of someone from an opposing camp uh, from the other people I interviewed. But for the most part, it's I go in having an idea of this is what I think the story is. Because if I if I were to go in blind, I would have a real problem. So I have kind of a list of things that I want to touch on, things that I think are going to be most interesting, but also just general questions that I think I want to understand the issue fully, even if I don't think I'm going to use this quote. And if I find that, you know, this really isn't what I thought it was going to be, absolutely, I go and I I will change and restructure the story. Mm. That definitely has happened, but it's like forgetting John Syracuse on the last episode. For him, I I knew that he, I had heard some parts of this story before, so I kind of knew what to expect, and I kind of knew this is what I need for the beginning. I want sort of an emotional connection to Macworld uh, to the beginning of the magazine. And so I knew that that's what I was going for going in. But the exact questions, it was still free form. Let the converse see what he thinks is most important and make sure that I'm actually relaying what he thinks rather than me twisting anyone's words. So, hmm. so we've, we've talked a little bit about why we like your show and also the, te- the tricks of the trade you use to produce it now. You know, I'm, I'm sure we could get more out of you if we wanted to. Oh yeah. Before I press on, go back to the microphones. What do you use for those? Oh yeah. Yeah. So you're getting the, one of the first things recorded with a new microphone. This is, <laughs> as I said, then traveling across the country, I had a hard time finding all of my gear in the trunk uh, and finding the right USB cords. But then uh, I was going to use my Rode kit that I normally use, which is a Tascam 60D Mark II recorder, which I sling around my neck, and a Shure SM58 microphone, Mm. just some Sony headphones. It's a very simple setup. That's what I use for field recordings if I want to go and meet up with someone and interview them. But I now have a studio microphone. The first four episodes were all I voiced and recorded myself with that. But I now have a Shure SM7B studio microphone, a boom arm, a cloud lifter, uh, which is made in Tucson, Arizona. Arizona pride. Um, Mm. (laughs) And uh, that provides some clean gain so that the microphone has less hiss because it's a low output microphone. And then into uh, an Onyx Blackjack USB interface. So it's it's a fancier setup than uh, I usually have. So. Well, I have to say I have more respect than I did before, but I, I already knew your show's quality was coming through loud and clear. <laughs> Just I've always been more down and dirty with my tools. I'm using the Blue Yeti, and mm-hmm. I, I just like it for its simplicity. I know I could do so much better, and one of these days I probably will. It, when the day comes, I'll turn to you, Mark, for <laughs> adv- shopping advice. Yeah, mine is still something where the microphones I've picked are very good for my specific circumstances. They do your voice very well. Yeah, and I like how I sound on it, but I also, I know plenty of people who have the Yeti and it sounds really good. So it's simple and it fits the environment you're working in very well. Right, and you are approaching it more as a, a radio producer, a little bit more so than I came at it from the opposite spectrum as, you know, this is podcasting, 
where things can be really quick and dirty. And I've seen many examples where the, the audio was just terrible, terrible for the people that were new to podcasting. And that's one of the things that I think really excites your listeners is that just out of the gate, Welcome to Macintosh was well, well produced. It reminds me of one of the shows that we were talking about earlier that you really enjoy is uh, 99% Invisible. Mm-hmm. Now, I know it's not the same. I'm not going to pretend here. I, I'm not going to say, oh, it's better, but I'll, I'll say you're rivaling them and you're, you're going to get there. I have faith in you because you're considering where you started no time at all. You'll just be producing the exact same standards all across the board. Just keep it up. I know Mark, you, you described that, you know, you're still relatively new to these things. You're already producing excellence. So I just want you to keep that up. I want you to know if, if I need to recommend your show to more listeners, if you want me to be one of your spokespeople, I'm more than happy to do that. <laughs> I'll, I'll just, you. I'll have them all automatically download your show to their phones. We'll, we'll just make that happen. We'll talk to Tim Cook, and I'm sure maybe Bono can help us. We'll get your show automatically ported to all the iPhones in the country. Do a product red version of uh, Welcome to Macintosh. Yes, yes. <laughs> uh, I'm on board with that idea. Yeah, uh, I could help you with the artwork. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, then 99% Invisible is absolutely, that's, if there's a show that I'm, trying that i'm channeling for inspiration that is it is 99 invisible the sort of let's look at this sort of little detail that maybe you hadn't thought about or didn't know that much about before and really give it the attention it deserves and that's it's it's a lot of fun to do it so right so then do you want to explain like what what are some of the themes of welcome to macintosh do you feel like there is a a a quality that you're trying to present consistently across the board like i notice one of the concerns i have with a great number of talk shows is how much of the um well the negativity that is being spread while people are just you know listing complaints about uh, the latest device or software and there's certainly a place for that but I think that sometimes I, I'd much rather hear like the silver lining story, or I'd like to hear, mm-hmm. you know, uh, people find some well positivity. I mean, come on, there's got to be something good about the platform that we use, right? Not very often do you hear people, you know, talking about the reasons they like the tools they use, yeah. or at least not in a very uh, cohesive manner. They're not getting into any of the details about why they like the Apple product. They just use the Apple product all the time, and they're more than happy to tell you what's wrong with it on Twitter every day. Yeah. I definitely think that one of the big themes is looking at the positive side of this, the what is there that we can look back and really smile about? What's what's good about the history of this? Absolutely. I don't want to have each episode be like a downer, like, oh, this is what's wrong with the current stuff. Because in the grand scheme of things, whatever was wrong with like the little bugs that the mac had that i'm talking about or the apple II had when the alpha centauri was being made they're kind of trivial at this point that's not what is worth remembering right undoubtedly the the max that rig would present bugs and all kinds of problems i can't imagine what it was like when they used it at the wedding just getting the the volume right or who knows what yeah there is sure there were engineering challenges yeah and that's that's something where it's like on the one hand i do notice those problems and I will complain to myself and to some other people about it as well. But it's something where for the show, it's certainly never going to be a place where it's talking about the little problems that are around with 
what we currently have. There may be some things dreaming up what there might be in the future. Uh, there might be, and I certainly think there will be some episodes which are overall less positive looking at certain issues in the tech community and in around Apple or around these things where I, and the show isn't meant to be some glowing advertisement for Apple. <laughs> Generally going to gravitate towards things that are positive and things that are that I like. Uh, but there are certainly some things where there are there are places where no one in the tech industry is really doing a great job. And then looking at some of those things, then it's hmm. maybe there will be an episode where Apple doesn't look like some great hero at the end of the episode. But I'm also not intending to go out. I'm not intending to glorify or vilify them with the show. It's just mainly looking at what's around them hmm. um, and the community. So I think the main if I had to pick one central aspect of every episode that I'm going to be doing is that they all center around people. Um, they're focused on, I mean, even if it's a story about a synthesizer, it's about the guy who made the synthesizer. It's, it's not really about the synthesizer itself or around Macworld. It's about the Apple community. Really? It, it it's looking at how it influenced the community. And even when it's looking at a specific technical thing, it's using very strong characters to tell the story as much as possible. That's something where I don't want it to just be a show where every episode it's I bring on an expert to talk about this thing and then just kind of have this sort of cold feeling. It needs to have a heart and soul of the story. I'm interested in uh, this this style of podcast. I really haven't been turned on to until, until recently, and uh, it definitely is a, a different experience, you know, just driving to work. It's not not listen to music. It's not listening to, you know, someone rant and rave about their latest gadget, but it's, it's, it's a story and it, and it, and it makes you feel different. Thank you. It reminds me of what Robert McGinley Myers was saying on episode one. Exactly. Yeah. And, and his was the first podcast that I listened to like that. And I was like, this is just yeah, different. Yeah. His, his podcast is, is really good. I'm a fan of that. Yeah. And just the, the fact that, you know, he uses stories to try and allow for people to learn something on their own. Not only is it input, but it's also spurring, it's fostering new ideas and, and appreciation for, I don't want to say vitality. It seems way too ambiguous, but the, like one of the recent episodes of Rob's show, they were, uh, he asked the question for, from some friends, when did you feel the most human? Their answers were, were really, really, really engaging. They were really entertaining. <laughs> but I was thinking about my response to when did I feel the most human? Oftentimes, the most human moments are when I am experiencing a real crafted story. And you get into the, into the moment, into the idea, the past, present, and future appreciation for the representation of that story and why it matters. And sometimes it has to do with something we created or something we destroyed. Like in your case, you talk about the Alpha Centauri, and then you also talk about the destruction of Macworld. Mm -hmm. Now, Macworld's still with us, but not as we knew. The magazine, yeah. Correct. Right. Yeah, I don't want to make it sound like they're they're dead. <laughs> yeah. I it's it's one of those things I had to be careful of that. It's like I really like what they're doing still, and I really think the people there are great. Like I I don't want to come across against them, but it's this is a story about the magazine and the the sort of it's the the institution that was known right but right anyway the yeah then absolutely finding the way to tell the stories of these things and all of that i think it's really essential for for my show at least to to 
find a human way of telling these stories. And mm. uh, that's, that's the way to make the technology more interesting is to tie it in with people. And Anxious Machine absolutely does a great job of that. They partnered with a few other podcasts as a part of The Herd, mm-hmm. H-E-A-R-D. And I listened to a few of the other ones on that. So I recommend it. Okay. There'll be a link to them in the show notes. I saw him tweet that out and I was a little confused by the concept, but yeah, I'm sure it's going to stick <laughs> because anxious machine is just that good. The idea of the herd is like a collective, uh, not exactly a podcast network. Um, like a digest, which has been the latest development in the culture for podcasting. It's, it's basically they're pooling resources as storytelling podcasts so that they can help edit scripts and give feedback and kind of work together. So it's not as much of a solo operation because Mm -hmm. it is, it is difficult to produce on a regular basis as a one man show. Well, you're telling me. (laughs) Now I wanted to get into more of the stories you'd pick and choose for Welcome to Macintosh. Yeah. Everybody right now is uh, completely convinced that you have great taste. You know which ones to pick. So I was wondering, since most of your stories uh, go back a few years, do you prefer to focus on a Macintosh of yesteryear and uh, you know return to the roots of you know what Apple was in the 70s, 80s, and 90s? Or do you think you'll tell more recent stories and even when the uh, the events are still unfolding, will you will you talk about more recent history of like you know where iPods are today? Yeah, um, certainly I'm going to be gravitating more towards stories that they don't have to be old or Apple of the the 80s or whatever. Like it's it's something where I want to make my episodes as much as possible evergreen, where they're as good today as they are in 10 years, 20 years. I'm sure I'll look back on them and be horrified about some of the things I did, but then it's something where they should still be relevant. It's hard to do something where if I talk about the rumored upcoming Apple TV or whatever, and then it doesn't come out or that never happens. And it's like, oh, that wasn't really a great story um, or it's not relevant. Just having even a year, two years, three years of hindsight it's a lot easier to evaluate. That said, I absolutely do want to do coverage of some things where it's right now Apple's in a state of flux, where they are changing, where it's they're moving into this more uh, sort of new position, which they've never been in and making like the watch is fundamentally new Apple and something like that. I, I definitely think it's worth doing those episodes as it's happening. So that would sound like a maybe an episode where you talk about uh, Apple in all of its years, you know, all the way back to the beginning to the present and talk about how it used to be and how it's different now, the different ages of Apple, the first era of Steve, the era without him, then the era with him, and then the era without him again. And maybe how those contrasting moments have changed the direction for Apple uh, corporate. I could see that. That's, that's like, that's an interesting idea. Yeah. It's certainly something that that could be interesting. I mean, I don't know that I would necessarily cover it exactly like that. I don't want to necessarily say specific stories that I'm going to be working on just due to the fact that a lot of story ideas when it's when I have to get the right interview interviewees and arrange these things and do all of that, then there's a high probability of them falling through where there are ones which I definitely want to do that I would be happy to talk about, but I I don't want to then promise them and disappoint. (laughs) I I hear you completely. It it reminds me of the situation that developed for the show Inquisitive with Mike Hurley, 
where for a, a section he had what was it called the the story behind the app. Yeah. And in that series, he wanted to talk about all facets of the app store and iOS apps, the, the experience for developers and what they could tell from Apple on the outside. And I believe when trying to cover that much material, it must have been, well, daunting and also very time consuming, but also very difficult to congeal all that material to solidify it into something that would make cohesive episodes that one right after the next that would seem to be going somewhere for sure. And, but that's not something you could tell until you had experienced it. And so I felt like I was even on that, that journey with Mike in his show. Don't get me wrong. It was a great show and I appreciate the inquisitive series. I've been listening to it for a very long time, all the way back to the days it was uh, called command space. <laughs> but then when I thought about it, I'm, I'm with Mike when he was critiquing his series and he pointed out just how what it was, a much larger technical challenge to uh, edit it into something that was uh, articulate and just made sense from the beginning to end of that series, of that mini-series. Yeah. For me, then, as a topic, all facets of iOS and App Store development would be insane for me to tackle in one episode, where it's, I'm, that's one of the reasons where I try and pick something very focused for an episode and explore all the elements that are worth exploring. I mean, there are, Absolutely things which I have to cut that I wish I didn't. It's something where I try and focus as much as possible because otherwise it's becomes almost just impossible. Like it's, and for his, I, I don't know how many hours of interviews he had. He said it on the last episode and it was just insane. And that's, it's not something that's really tenable. Certainly not for my operation. For most people, like that's, it's just so much. <laughs> that, that would be for the other show called Welcome to Apple. Th thinking back on the, uh, the beginning of your show, you were saying earlier before we started the show how you got started. And, and that story kind of intrigued me. Do you mind just sh shedding light on where you got started, why you started the Welcome to Macintosh series in the first place? What, what spurred you on? Because And the reason I'm bringing it up now is because we've mentioned Inquisitive. And I find it interesting that there's a few of our favorite shows that were impacted by the same thing. And all of them were led by one particular person and his particular message. Yeah, it was uh, Dave Wiskus had uh, a video in his uh, YouTube series, Better Elevation, called Podcast Intervention where basically he called for new voices and new perspectives in the podcasting world to try and do something other than just people roundtabling and talking about that week's computer stuff. There are a lot of podcasts that do that, and a number of them do it really, really well. But rather than everyone just going in and making another one of those, another one of those, another one of those, to try something new, to bring a new voice to the table. I contacted him just because I totally felt the same way. I, I had listened to... Lots of shows like 99% Invisible, Radiolab, This American Life, and Too Many to List that are these more storytelling, heavily edited shows. And I just loved those. But then I also really loved all these podcasts about Apple and the community that had formed around it. All the people like Mike or John Gruber or Dave Wiskus or all these people. I just really liked that community. And because there are so many podcasts in that Apple community and had been over the years, I felt like kind of deserved this same treatment. And I knew I wanted a show like this to listen to. And so I had contacted Dave saying like, I wish this show existed and blah, blah, blah. I don't 
think I would be able to make it because I don't know anyone and I'm just 19 or whatever. Then he said, basically, like, if you think you could do it, you should just go for it. I think this is, this sounds great. And I had been wanting to make something. I had that creative bug, just that little push. It's like, I want this to exist. So there has to be somebody else who wants it. Mm. And I started the show. <laughs> Interesting. So at this point, are you happy with the impact that this has made? And do you feel like Welcome to Macintosh is in the right direction? I mean, I know as the creative, you never feel like you arrive at perfection. You never feel like the, the a show is quite right. You have to you have to ship when you when you're not always satisfied with something here or there. I, I couldn't tell though, just from listening to your show, how satisfied you you were. Do you feel like this is where you want Welcome to Macintosh to be in a year from now in all the episodes in between? So I'm going to cite something from Ira Glass, the host of This American Life. There's this great little interview clip with him where he talks about people getting their start in creative work and how this idea of the gap where you have, on the one hand, where you're starting, you have great taste and that's what gets you into it. And you know what you want to be making. You want to be making something as good as this thing that you like. But you go out and you try and you find, you know, really, it's just, it's not that good. Or it's not as good as I want it to be. It's really easy to just quit after that. And it's a matter of working through that time and saying, like, I, I know this isn't as good as I want it to be, but I'm going to get it there. Even though I am insanely proud of how Welcome to Macintosh has wound up for being so new to the field, there are still things where listening back to episodes again, then I feel like, oh, I would have done this differently now, or I wish I'd mixed that in, or, oh, I should have used this sound here, or put music there, or cut this interview differently. Like, I am already feeling that, and it's absolutely something where I feel like that gap will narrow, but my taste will continue to raise the bar higher. And so I feel like trying to do a number of different things to stretch what the show can be, that doesn't mean that I'm not proud of the work I've done. So it's, I, I'm proud of it, but I also want to do better. I got you there. And that that's where I am with some of my shows. I actually did a movie review show on YouTube back in 2011. And we produced uh, 70 some episodes of that in the one year. It was one of those things. So it was a crash course experience, turning it from something that was just an idea that someone had at the office into something that was real. And we were actually attempting to deliver a real good product in, in that series. And in so doing, we, we were rushed. We, we wanted to make good on the content and make sure that it was worthy of our viewers' attention. But you're wrestling with that experience consistently. We were not used to being in front of the camera and behind the camera and on the mic and writing this in the, uh, the not only want to say screenplay, but writing, writing the outline and the discussion points and reviewing a movie and, you know, spending the time to discuss it and find relevant things to say and make a great show. And, and it was one of those things that I learned very quickly. You, you, you real artistship. But also real artists are their harshest critics. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the things when I listen to your show, Mark, I, I don't really notice any flaws. I don't notice something like, I wish that that was different because your production quality sounds really decent. And then on top of that, you're telling us stories that no one else has approached. So I'm sure that it'll be something more noticeable in the future, like I think recently there was an episode of 99% Invisible where Roman Mars actually referred to an earlier episode that, that's a few years old now. Mm -hmm. And he played a clip from it 
And you could kind of tell. Yeah. It, the production was a little bit different then, and it is better today. But it was a subtle difference. It's it's when your show is already great that to make it even better, it, there are only small, very small incremental improvements that take a very long time to become noticeable. When your show is already at a 97% grade of just of quality to go from 97 to 98 to get that kind of the rating for your show that would be really hard but it's something we all pursue absolutely like for 99% invisible at this point there are like 167 episodes in it's all i have listened to every episode of that podcast and they're all great but you can tell that as it goes on they've it's something where you find your rhythm. You find what the show is meant to be, how it should sound, what it should feel like, what exactly is the right story type of story for it, how should you approach it. And after 167 episodes, you've probably found your rhythm. I, I'm still definitely working on finding what exactly does the show sound like going forward and trying to change it up as I go and not get too comfortable with any set style. One of the things that I'm really looking to do, uh, the biggest thing I want to try is getting more live interviews rather than just Skype, where it's not always feasible if someone's across the country and I need them for a small section of the show. I can't justify going out just to talk to them. Mm. But variability in sound is one of the biggest things I'm excited to have for the future of the show. Okay. I just have one last question then for you, Mark. Sure. And uh, I'm being a little facetious here. Do you work alone like Batman? <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, do you see yourself for Welcome to Macintosh being a standalone, a, uh, a production of one? Or would you like to grow it like some of the other storytelling podcasts have with a team of, you know, different reporters uh, contributing? I am absolutely like right now I am I am a solo operation in terms of uh, making the show. But as I go on, I'm already having uh, some radio friends and people review scripts to see, hey, does this seem good? Uh, it's growing in that way. Um, things with help for like selling ads is another way, but just production help and running things. And then even in the future, finding uh, not every episode of 99% Invisible or This American Life is by someone on staff. There are sometimes producers who they work with to make some of their stories where finding other people to maybe make an episode that I, I'm still in the episode for some of the narration, but allowing other voices to shine through, but still fitting with the tone of the podcast. Really growing the voice from just me to me and and friends <laughs> right has your show been featured in the itunes store um it was in new and noteworthy for a while after being released so that was pretty nice okay good if they didn't i'd say it would, they would just have to be criminal not to really give you the time of day there <laughs> um, but well, yeah you're doing well you've got 75 star raiders they give you five for five congratulations yeah <laughs> really happy to see this i was going to tell everyone to go over there and give them a great review and uh, I don't feel like I have to do that anymore, yeah. but please do it anyway. If you haven't already heard Welcome to Macintosh, then please listen to his show because this is the kind of thing that the technology community needs to hear more of. There's a place for shows like Tectonic where we're just, we're just talking about technology loosely. And I'm glad that we can, but th th there's something more rich from a storytelling approach. So, Mark, uh, thank you very much for being on episode 10. I feel like you made it extra special. Thank you. I'm happy to have been a part of the show. You can find me uh, on Twitter 
at MC Bramhill. Uh, the main thing I would point people to is my show, Macintosh.fm. Welcome to Macintosh in the iTunes store or on Overcast or your podcast app of choice. And that is going to complete episode 10, episode X of Tectonic. Visit tectonic.fm slash 10 for the show notes and links. I'm tempted to make it slash X, just, oh, but I'm not. <laughs> okay, for the show notes and links, if you want to connect with us, we are at Tectonic FM on Twitter. And send your feedback via email to hello at tectonic.fm. If you want to catch up with me on Twitter, I'm underscore Joe Darnell. My co-host, Joshua, is Joshua Pfeiffer. And if you want to help us out, give us your star rating and leave us your review on iTunes because that helps many other people out there discover the show. I'm Joe Darnell. Thanks so much for listening to Tectonic. Tectonic.